This is a test of the Boundary Park Alert System. to episode 11 of the Boundary Park Alert System with me, Matt Dean. This week's podcast is going to be a little bit different. I wasn't available for the usual post-match review this weekend. A shame because it would have been nice to talk to the lads about what was an excellent result away at Exeter on Saturday. Two great strikes from Blackwood and in particular Danny Rowe and some resolute defending meant that we recorded an important victory and three precious points against the odds. I didn't watch the game this week, but I did listen, and I'm naturally very pleased with the result. However, it does make the result against Scunthorpe all the more frustrating, and it'll soon be forgotten if we lose on Tuesday against Barrow in another must-win game at the lower end of League 2. I spent most of each of the last 10 weekends working hard recording and producing this podcast, motivated and inspired to deliver the best quality show I can for you to enjoy. I'm inspired by the positive feedback and encouragement that I receive from listeners each week and the obvious appetite that there is out there from Oldham fans for Lattice content like this. I do it because I feel that as Oldham fans, you deserve a platform where you can hear the truth about your club, delivered by people who really care about it. You might not agree with everything that I have to say or my guests, but what I do hope you take away from it is that we only have the best interests of the club, the town and the fans at heart, and that all we want is to tell it as it is, because that's the least that you deserve. So instead of recording a post-match, I recorded a conversation with fans Andy and Ed, who you may remember from previous episodes, about the interview that the club released this week from the owner. Andy and Ed, who have both been on the podcast before, I thought it'd be good to hear from you both again about the uh, the statement. It's not well. It wasn't really a statement, was it? It was a. It was an interview. Except it wasn't really an interview, was it? It was like a staged. Uh, <laughs> like my 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 take on it. Well, it'll be interesting to hear what you what you lads think. But it was a. Uh, it was a bit weird, wasn't it? What do you think, Andy? It, uh, what did you it, think? It of was it? incredibly strange, wasn't it? I mean, I felt I felt for for Mickey Brown, who was doing who was doing the interview. Um, you know, in in that situation, he's he's in a no-win situation, isn't he? Right? He's, yeah. Basically, he's interviewing his employer, a man that pays his wages, so he's got to be mindful of that. And he's he's really reacting to the fact that the fans have been asking for an update from him via Carl Evans on Twitter, primarily, from what I can see. And Carl Evans had said, "Watch this space," so therefore there was something coming. And the interview was clearly done before the Scunthorpe defeat as well, just by, by virtue of the content in it. So it, it was just, it was very strange. It was, it was almost sycophantic in its, uh, in its delivery, wasn't it? It was, um, it, it was, it was very uh, overtly sort of positive, almost like attempting to present things in, in as positive a light as, as possible. And, he, and the only conclusion I came to was that Mickey Brown or whoever would have done the interview was, mildly fearful of the owner so they they had to be very careful what they said so they didn't want to upset dear leader <laughs> you know, <it's> yeah. <laughs> i mean i would yeah. i would take it one step further than that uh Andy, and say that it was scripted or very loosely scripted and he had a number of checkpoints questions that he needed to ask 
because I just ran through a few. <laughs> I'll come on to what you said just before I click record there, Ed, a minute ago when you said that you, you couldn't get, you couldn't listen to it initially. You had to turn it off. And I know what you mean. It was hard work, but I have listened to it a couple of times and you can kind of tick it off subjects that were like, you've got to talk about this recruitment, tick, stadium, North stand, tick, training ground, tick, who picks the team, tick, mistakes, tick, social media, tick. But like the answers, that's another thing completely. But it was like the lad doing the interview, he was actually answering the questions and putting words in Abdallah's mouth. He wasn't asking yeah. direct question. He wasn't saying, so Abdallah, can you update us on? And, you know, just very simple, very direct. It wasn't like that, was it, Ed, at all? I, I'm not I'm not here to slate the head of media at the club because I know it's a it's an impossible task really but a lot of his interviews are like that and I don't know if that's a, a thing that the club want him to do but he kind of gives an answer within a question it's kind of enveloped within that for me was the kind of the biggest issue issue with the interview for me was that the interview it had already given like the answer for Abdallah to just repeat basically yeah, in broken english yeah yeah reiterate and i got nothing out of it it was the same same stuff he peddled to me at the um at the fans forum in january in the boardroom so nothing new and like um I, like i said before you hit record i could only stomach five minutes of it because it was the same rubbish spewed out and i i said on twitter today and i think everyone Apart from the, he's saying there's a minority, but it's the majority. No one, no one cares anymore. We've wanted to hear from him, yes, but it's results. I want to see something change. And last time I was on the podcast, I said we're we're past the point of redemption. So, what 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 comes out of that interview? Not much for me. It's rubbish, really. <laughs> there was just no substance, was there, Andy, to any of the answers? It it, it didn't give you or it didn't give us any. Well, any answers? <laughs> it was like right. you, you know, you're talking about mistakes or whatever. Again, yeah, mistake, but not which mistakes and what well, it's, it's learning just, was and that kind of stuff. Exactly. That's what... just, just just like you were saying, it was a checklist of points. So you know, we're we're trying to get the north stand and under one umbrella. We're trying to improve the training ground facilities. You know, we're we've made mistakes. We're still learning. It's it's just platitudes, isn't it? It's just words. The only bit you could try to pick out from it is he talked about play recruitment strategy he said there is a strategy he definitely said at one stage changing recruitment strategy looking for resellable younger assets is, is what i made a note on so you know which was really the, the sort of segue into the david Weeter situation we don't really need 34 five six-year-old players we want young players and um, by the way david wheat is 33 which is the same age as uh cedo john barty just for <laughs> reference but nonetheless uh it, it was it was geared around uh, the strategy being younger, saleable assets. Well, I just did a bit of a recce before we came on. We've only actually got 19 players signed on contracts that are neither scholars nor loanees, and 13 of those 19, their contracts expire next year. Yeah, so, building that doesn't add up either. I so the, the whole, the whole resellable asset uh, yeah. I saw that when he when he said that because he said about keeping a younger team, and he, and then he talked about that team getting up into League One. <laughs> it was like, mm, yeah, good luck with that, mate. Um, but what that his, his, his original aim of resaleable assets never came off, did it? Have we sold any of the um of his fantastic imports that we've no. had? The only no. player we've made any significant money from is uh, is George Edmondson, and he came through the youth system yeah. prior to, to his arrival. So you know, he, they, he touched upon the importance around supporting you know Paul Murray and and sell him 
can't remember, can't pronounce his surname, yeah, those, those two gentlemen. So I guess the thing I can't ascertain, if I'm honest, I try to work it out is, this is what I mean about be, having some sort of feeling a bit sorry for Mickey Brown and the situation he was in having to ask the questions is, is he fearful? Is, is, there a, is there a sort of a culture within the club where people fear asking difficult questions of the owner? Do you have to be, do you have to just toe the party line so as not to get told off by the owner? You know, lots of people have left. So do you fear for your own safety in terms of your employment? Um, and so difficult questions are hard to come by. So the owner just says words and hopes that just general words will stick and, and satisfy. Maybe people in and around him in the club give him the impression that those words are fine. So he says words and they go, oh, yeah, great. Well, actually, it doesn't really wash with us because there's no substance behind it. Well, there's a couple of things that, that the way it's look, let's speculate. Let's 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 throw some conspiracy theories in there just because you know this is going out on the internet and that's where conspiracy theories live. So like there's a couple of things that could have happened. He, Mikey could have been I'm not having a go at him either. He's a young lad, he's a, he seems to be an older fan, you know, based on his commentary and how enthusiastic he gets. He, he's working for the club, you know, he wants to keep his job. I get all that. That's fine. Now what he could have done is he, that could have been interview number three of three. You know, he could have, the, the first one might have been, no, we're not, that's no good, we'll, we'll do that again. Kyle could have given him questions and said, you've got to ask these, don't make them sound like scripted questions. You know, there's a there's a number of things. Or it could have just been that he was just being, like you say, Andy, cagey and whatnot. But the, the, the point is, is it comes off as inauthentic. Whichever one of those mm. scenarios. For, for me, I, don't, I think uh, Mikey was trying to, he's definitely trying to toe a line. But for me personally, I don't. Um, I don't think he'd even want to do it if it was if it was scripted. Just based, I don't know the guy, but just basically what I've what I've seen from him, and he is. I'm fairly certain he is an Oldham fan, like you said, based on you know his his commentary and you know his social media. But if you look back at his um, his former deputy head of media, Dominic Shaw, he got canned after an argument with. Uh, I don't think it was the owner. I think it was with Natalie Atkinson. But there, there is a culture within that club where if you don't toe the line, you're gone. The media industry isn't an easy one to get into. You know, being the media manager at a football league club is a prestigious job. So he will be wanting to keep that job. But to go as far as saying that, was, was there so many takes? Was this North Korean style? I, I'm not sure. But well, I'm definitely it's fun to, to be speculate. Toe, toe the line. It's fun yeah, to speculate. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, 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 if there were to, if that was take three, then take one and two. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly, exactly. Because it wasn't it wasn't particularly polished. I didn't I didn't I didn't take from it that there were takes. It just I I, I got from it that that the interviewer was you know he he, he seemed relatively relaxed to be fair in asking in in talking, but. He was not. He was not going to ask anything that was going to be uncomfortable. And and I guess you not shouldn't expect him to. He's an employee of the club, so he's going to try and dress it up as positively as he can. But I I, I just deduce from that 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 he would be fearful to ask any any difficult questions. I think Abdallah has obviously we... said that he will do the interview if it's conducted by <laughs> an employee, an employee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and that's the problem. Who, who you can control? Did, did you not? I found the other thing about the comment about thirty-four, five, and six-year-olds. You know, we don't have any thirty-four, five, and six-year-olds. I don't think our oldest players are thirty-three. But anyway, it was. It seemed to me to be a dig at Wheater um, and possibly a Peter Clark hangover. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, also yeah, that, sure. what that, the point there was a point I was going to make about that, Andy. That you reminded me of 
that links into who picks the team and and recruitment because what if Harry Kuehl is turning around and saying we are desperate for some experienced heads in this team and I want to sign such and such as a free agent how old is he? He's 34 nah do you know what I mean is that is is the policy that strict that because well, you would you, you you would take from that particular interview it is now wouldn't it because yeah. they talked about they talked about recruitment strategy changing and then uh, they didn't elaborate on it when they said when when they said it but then later on they talked about recruiting younger players that were saleable assets so that drawing those two lines together that seems to be what they're saying is that they want to put a team of young players together that can grow together and be around for a, for a, for a longer period of time Feel free to prove me wrong, Abdallah, but we will never get out of League Two with a team of kids. And if those kids are good enough to be making such an impression, they'll end up getting sold. Then we'll be back to square one. So that strategy is never going to work, is it? Yeah, you'd sort of, you know, if 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 he was selling a player, if you're selling a player to a season for George Edmonds some money to help balance the books, I guess you'd say that's good business on it on his on his part. But when you've got when you've got 13 of the 19 signed professionals on one year deals, I don't see that you're going to possibly be able to do that. You're going to have to be presumably signing them on longer contracts than, than just a single year. These are the things that irritate most. Is he says one thing about wanting to sign younger players who are saleable assets but then hasn't taken the care to check himself that 13 of the 19 players are on one-year deals. And so those two things don't add up. So you're saying words and then assuming the supporter base are stupid enough not to be able to work to that out. That's, 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 that's the thing that's irritating. It's, it's almost offensive to my intelligence or your intelligence that we can't work that out. And, it, and also the fact that to even think that a team can be made up just of youngsters and be successful is ridiculous. You need a blend. Everybody knows that you need a blend of experience. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any experienced players playing. You'd, they'd all get to 30 and be binned off. That's just not the way it works at all. Well, they, and you they, can look at the best teams that we've had over recent years and point to the experience in the dressing room balanced with young younger players. That's That's the strategy. Everybody knows that. He asked the question, "What? What's the? You know, why have thirty-four, five, and six-year-old players? Well, surely you have them in there to guide the younger players through the games, to teach them how to be professionals. You know, uh, train hard, um, how to conduct themselves off the pitch. Yeah. Um, characters to, in the dressing room at half time, organisers the on the pitch." Room. Their yeah. ability, the tricks uh, that they've learned through their careers. There's a million reasons why. A myriad of reasons why you have <laughs> someone who's who's got experience. Yeah. Of course, quarter is. Yeah, it's ridiculous to say it otherwise. So that really bothered me because taking into account everything that's off the pitch and all the issues that are there, if that's going to be the strategy going forward, and we're and we're never going to have players over thirty, yeah, that does that does really bother me. Just going back to the point of 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 the young players, you think. A lot of these are came on on freeze. If they were any good, they wouldn't be playing for us, would they? You know, we've got to be looking at players that have racked up a lot of league ex, uh, league experience. There's hardly anyone. As someone someone did the someone looked at the stats and said David Weiter has more football league professional appearances than like most of the squad combined. Mm. It, it's ridiculous. And League Two is is a tough league. I mean, we've flown around in Australia. From halfway around the world, when we probably could have got someone better from down the road, it's every year they make the same recruitment mistakes, but in a different fashion. And they're trying to bill it now as saying that we only want to, we only want young people. But if you had a spine of I don't know Peter Clark, David Wheat, Chris McCann, we would do infinitely better. 
there's no doubt about it. And if he is too stupid to see that, then we're not going to go anywhere. I feel worse after that than I did before it. And I didn't feel very good before it. So (laughs) I'd be interested to know how many people feel better. And I would suspect that they are the minority. (laughs) Well, that that, a certain Facebook group. It was, it was some of those statements, wasn't it? Which, which you know, the, the minority, the minority of fans are, are, you know, the ones that are disillusioned. You know, you think to yourself, crying out loud, does he really think that, that annoyed that, me? That really annoyed that me. The, the, the other things that that uh, that I wrote down were, you know, he said the club is going in the right direction. Define yeah. the right direction to me. Define that. How do how do you define what the right direction is? They're asking asking us for patience. Three years. Three years of patience we've already mm. given you. Club belongs to the fans. It certainly doesn't feel that way to me. You know, solid foundations are nearly there. Define the solid foundations to me. Like the, all these phrases are used, just, they're just words. There's and like no when when Mikey was around, the when, you're right. You're dead right. It's just it's it, it's cliches and 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 one-liners and stuff that you you could be talking about any club anytime. You know, and when Mikey said, without going into too much detail, talking about mistakes, it was like, no, you've got that wrong. Please go into the detail <laughs> of yeah. of the mistakes you've made because that's what we want from you. There's no point you coming on to just give us those one-liners. Give yeah. us the detail. That's what we're here for. But we knew that we weren't going to get it before we before we pressed play, didn't we? So. Well, I, I didn't know what I was going to get actually. I wasn't. I didn't have any expectations, but it was it was uh, wholly underwhelming by the time I'd, I'd watched it for sure. And the, the, the other the other things that that I think are probably worth just throwing out there is on hearing Carl Evans on your podcast and sort of interacting with him a bit over Twitter myself early on. I had some hope that he might make a difference. He seemed like the type of guy. He, he spoke. He speaks quite well has good experience. I was hoping he might make a, he, he might be able to make a significant difference in the running of the club. Well, the David Wheater statement about his dog clearly got approval from Carl, and I was very disappointed with that statement, followed by this interview, which presumably Carl was aware of. There are two things now that have happened under Carl's watch that make me a bit disappointed with the effect that he's had on the owners. It doesn't seem like he's had a great deal of effect to me at all, if any. And that makes me feel a bit disappointed as well, really, I think. I would also chuck in some of the uh, some of the interaction on Twitter on that. I've been very disappointed by as well, not just Carl, <laughs> by uh, Jamie as well. Too. I might as well just name him because everyone knows who we're talking about. But it's been lots and- of, like, you know, just because somebody tweets doesn't mean you have to reply. You know, you can. It kind of stems back to what Abdallah said in the in the interview, saying that it's a minority of fans. The sooner the club realise that the majority of the fans are seriously so annoyed, and it seems that even Carl's now deciding that, uh, well, it's not that bad. Obviously, you, you you're all wrong. You know, Abdallah's the man. I know he's never explicitly said that, but the way that him and Jamie post the Scunthorpe de- defeat. They, they're reading it wrong. They've, they've got, they've read the room so wrong, and so has the club for so long. So many statements. The, the David Weeter statement saying uh, him and Gary Woods can't play. Then fast forward for forty days, and uh, it's actually his dog's fault he can't play. Sorry about that. <laughs> they think we're stupid. They hold the fans in such contempt, and they have done for a long time now. Uh, when they said that the season ticket holders didn't matter, 
um, at the at the uh, at the January Abdallah meeting, saying that it's inconsequential. It doesn't matter how many we have. The fans don't matter. I'm not saying they explicitly said that, but it's implied in the way that they interact with the fans, not not just officially, but via staff accounts as well. I appreciate Carl going on Twitter and trying to engage with the fans, but I think he has has read he hasn't read the room because there is so much anger within the fan base, and he, he should probably just leave it alone. He shouldn't he shouldn't bother because there's people asking questions which he can't give answers to. He's not Abdallah. I don't think he's actually met the man yet, um, but they do speak a lot apparently. We've got to give him got to give him a bit of time. He hasn't been in the door that long. But after the skunk pop defeat, I wasn't very, I wasn't, I wasn't chuffed with what I was reading. No, and but what it says to what it highlights to me is, it's not a very intelligent thing to do, and it's not a very professional thing to do. I know that it's, he's not tweeting from Carl Evans at OASC and neither is Jamie, but like they do represent the club, and they do, they can't, they can't detach themselves from that. And and if they're not, if they're not tweeting from an official account to say other things, then that's basically their them tweeting on behalf of the club, even though it's not officially. And 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 they've made it very, very difficult for themselves. And again, it's just all these things when it's like the timeline that came out, it's all these things and yet when you start adding them all together, it just leaves a, a trail I, of breadcrumbs. I, I think I think I think it's it's sort of admirable for, for Jamie and Carl to have a you know to put themselves in the firing line on social media. I think it's a I think it's a good thing to do. I I, I admire their their attempts. They're they're human, so they'll make mistakes and lose their rag just as much as anyone else does. So I, I can forgive them for that as well, particularly if people are throwing personal threats around. The, the only one that I could see in the public domain seemed to come from an account that was purporting to be a Berry supporter, but it, you don't know what goes on, on in personal sort of chats. So hopefully, no Latic sounds have been silly, um, and I'd encourage them to to not give up, but. Yeah, they, they've they've got to attempt to read the room a bit better, as Ed says, because there's quite a discontentment that's been running deep for a long time. I'm not saying and they shouldn't tweet. To... I'm saying they should be a lot more selective in what they choose to respond to. Yeah, because yeah. there's people out there trying to wind them up, trying yeah. to make you know, don't fall for it. Like you, like I said, just because someone says something stupid on Twitter, that just assume that they're a, you know, from your own point of view, just think, well, they're a dickhead, and I'll leave it at that, and I don't need to respond. I don't need to get down, go down this rabbit hole. It's not their job to argue with fans on Twitter. It doesn't do them or the club or the fans or the whole spirit of positivity or negativity. Certainly, it just fuels negativity. Um, yeah, and, and this and this narrative that, that people are desperate for us to lose. Just, no one's desperate for us to lose. We're desperate for us to win. He, uh, Carl said on, on Saturday that, that the people who who are unhappy with the Scumpot result win. He said, yeah, oh, you got what you wanted in the end. No, he didn't. It was terrible. I turned it off. With about 15 minutes to go, it was it was dire, and the club are lucky that no fans are in because it could have got very ugly. To be honest, we want to win. We want to get out of this rancid division yeah. with a with a coherent aim of improving. But each year the narrative changes. Okay, we're going to bring in foreign players, and you know we're going to build them up and sell them. That scrap that didn't work. Okay, now we're going to try young players who've actually never played professional football before uh, at a senior level. And you know, see if that works. And we'll get Harry Kuehl to try play it out the back against teams like Exeter and uh, and Cheltenham. Each year it changes. It doesn't seem that long ago since he uh, revealed that five-year plan, does it? And uh, well, we all know how that's going. <laughs> I, I think the, the thing that I was most uh, I learned most from the interview is that is that Abdallah lives in an aviary. I thought that <laughs> yeah. was an interesting observation. <laughs> yeah. 
the, the other thing, I don't, I, I've never been to Dubai myself, so I, I don't know what the housing stock looks like in Dubai, but he could easily have been in a galley kitchen in Royton, couldn't he? <laughs> the, uh, from he didn't, <laughs> look, he didn't look the most palatial gaff he lived in in this aviary. <laughs> Well, he lives in a yeah. He does live in an Avery or a, or a big birdcage um, or whatever. But like, yeah. Uh, look, I mean, the whole point of all this is this the you know the whole point of the, the of him coming out and of Carl and of people being more vocal and things and and is to give us confidence. Like you said, Ed, we want the t- we want the club to turn around. We want to win games. We if these lads are going to own the club. <laughs> Then and they're going to take us in the right direction. And they're going to do things right. Then we'll get behind them. But you know, every time it's like, here's an opportunity to to start doing things differently and start presenting things in the right way. They don't now. They, they really need to hire someone to help them with their PR and their communication. I think some professionals that's going to go. No, whoa, what are you doing? No, 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 that's not going out. This is what's going out. No, and even if they can't do it themselves, have get a filter. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I can't. But I can't believe that that version of the uh, of the David Weeter explanation statement made it out to the public. It was laughable. No one took it seriously. It, it it did the opposite of what they intended. I think it made my heart sink that Carl Evans might have approved that or written it. That was the thing that really made me think, oh no, because I was hoping. It, it looked like he had written it. To be honest, I know. I'd, I'd installed a bit of hope in Carl's to be able to change. You know some of the things that were happening, and then that statement came out, and I put my head in my hands. Yeah, because we will give people time, but unfortunately, you, the time gets shorter and shorter because you do get embroiled with the with the past and the what's gone on before, don't you? As an individual, and uh, you, you know you don't get given that many opportunities. You do have to hit the ground running. You do have to make a good first impression and second and third, and you've just got to. You've got to do more, and I, I'm going to ask Carl to come back on the podcast. I'm going to give him probably until about three months in the job, so that he's up, you know, plenty of time to. I can ask him some properly, proper questions, and, and, and expect some deeper answers than last yeah, time. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen him reply to you on Twitter saying do it again anytime. Yeah. And so I think it'd be good to hear from him again. I thought he spoke well on the first one. Yeah, had more to say than Abdallah, didn't he? This is a test of the Boundary Park Alert System. Right, and further to the points made in that conversation i would like to add the following and let me make this perfectly clear abdallah the discontented fans are not a minority 85 percent of 1135 fans who took part in the recent push the boundary survey feel that you are not the man to take our club forward secondly we are not against the club we are against the way you are running it we are against being taken for fools we are against being lied to The club is ours and we will stand by it long after you are gone. You seem to have the misguided belief that we should accept whatever you tell us, no matter how contradictory it is to the evidence or how vague and elusive the content of your answers are. Our discontentment with you is not a misjudgment on our part. It's based on hard facts and evidence. It is you who is responsible for us being relegated to League 2 and it is you who is responsible for us struggling at the bottom of it. It is you who continues to trust Mohammed as he repeatedly decimates our playing staff and undermines coach after coach who you subsequently replace and hold accountable for your brother's inadequacies as sporting director. It is you who has regularly excluded, alienated and fired club staff 
who has been taken to numerous employment tribunals, who has failed to pay wages on time, who has taken us to the brink of administration, who has removed season ticket holders from their seats and denied them the use of the stadium's best facility. It is you who has driven away long-time local commercial sponsorship partners, overseen the lowest attendances in recent memory, and failed to make our 125th anniversary season anything remotely special. So when you try to imply that we don't know what we're talking about, whilst failing to sufficiently address any of the issues that I've just mentioned, you will forgive me when I call bullshit. You can call us a minority if you like, but a rude awakening awaits you. And this is not a threat, it's just a fact. And with these thoughts in mind, I'd like to introduce the next part of this week's podcast, an interview with local freelance journalist and producer of the BBC Sounds podcast, Out of Their League, Sani Rodovagula. Sani is a Bury fan who, after Bury were expelled from the Football League, recorded the journey the Bury fans have been on to re-establish football in their town. It's a story of a deluded owner, divided supporters, a club separated from the ownership of its stadium, and ultimately the need for fans to start their own 10th division football club. It's a really entertaining, interesting and sobering listen, and it's one that is full of warnings for us as Oldham fans. We won on Saturday great, but Bury won League 2 and the following season they lost their Football League status. So there's still everything to play for. Sani, thanks for coming on to the podcast. I have been listening to the Bury podcast that you've done, Out of Our League. I binged it, 10 episodes in two days. That's, I really That's like 14 months worth of work. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> like two days. two days gone. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really did. It was really interesting. It's really a, a massive shame that the circumstances at which the podcast came around. I'll let you describe it to our listeners if they're not aware of it. Tell us about Out of Our League. Yeah, because it, it's strange, isn't it? Why would why would somebody come on talking about Berry on an Oldham pod? But yeah, basically, obviously, you all know what happened to our club. And I became actually part of the group that volunteered to help start the new club, which became Berry AFC. Um, and then amongst all these things that were going on, I'd, I'd kind of entered this BBC New Voices competition and at some point pitched this idea of a podcast kind of following what the fans were doing, which uh, got commissioned by BBC Sound. So it's the story of, well, what happened to Berry, and then what happened next? But we go, uh, me and Mark Crossley, who's a co-producer and co-presenter with me, who's also a Berry fan, we kind of go around the country finding out what other teams did to start again, whilst we've got behind the scenes access of what's going on at our club and yeah, it, it wasn't straightforward and that was even before the pandemic. Well, it's not a straightforward story, is it? And what I really enjoyed about it was learning more about the details of of what happened specifically at Bury because these things happen, but life's also happening and, and you don't always pay that much attention to the details of it. It's just kind of like, oh, this is terrible. And, you know, you do feel bad for, for Bury and, and that, but you don't really delve into it as much as obviously yeah. you do as a Bury fan. <laughs> When I, when I was doing the research for it as well, I mean, I went on Google and and found a Berry Times article about when uh, the car park spaces were sold off for ten grand each, which is true. But that article itself was quite matter of fact. Like, oh, this is a this is a new scheme that the club are doing to bring in other revenue. And and you look back and you think, what? Somebody sold our car park spaces for ten thousand pound each, and we all thought that was going to be a good idea. <laughs> and so you know, lots of questions needed to have been asked at the time and looking back and and you know looking at it with a bit of hindsight we can do that but yeah there's lots of there's lots of things that are parallel with clubs up and down the country really 
Yeah, and, and that's why I wanted you to come on, really, because through the process of making your own podcast, your own doc, it's, it's a documentary, it's an audio documentary that, you know, that spans, like you say, 14 months. You talk to a lot of people within the game and a lot of clubs and a lot of fans that have been through what Berry have been through and that are further along in that process of rebuilding and rediscovering themselves as clubs. And at Oldham, we're on the brink of that. So it's really, really relevant. And, and what I want this podcast to be is is not just about us talking about Oldham and talking about, oh, do you remember when we were at Wembley and we played Liverpool in the Premier League and all that? It's about what's going on and, and it's trying to make sure that we're all aware of, of what's happening and what potentially could happen and not letting it happen. So, you know, that's why I wanted you to come on and talk about what your experiences has been and to plug your podcast because I want Oldham fans to listen to it. And I'd like to know what were so we'll come back to the Bury kind of thing in a bit but what were the most impactful stories that you heard from other clubs do you think well I suppose the first one that springs to mind has got to be AFC Wimbledon you know we we all kind of know that story of the team that got moved to to Milton Keynes rebranded and the fans started again and that always kind of sticks in your mind as kind of the archetypal Phoenix story of course Berry's story isn't quite a Phoenix as uh, as a group of our fans will uh, will tell you vociferously that they're not a Phoenix or whatever but you know this, this club's up and down the land I mean Gretna jumps to mind as well bankrolled by a millionaire going from the Northern Premier League uh, getting into the Scottish League because they jumped over from England to Scotland getting all the way to the to the Europa League in the end um, and then you know he, he fell ill and the plug got pulled but there's, there's stories like that everywhere it's you don't quite realize how how we are all at the behest of of a wealthy backer and you know before you know it the rug can get pulled underneath uh, from underneath you bury are still alive aren't they and technically uh, i'm presuming that nothing's changed since the end of the podcast at the end of the podcast it's like you know gig lane is still there bury fc and steve dale are still a thing just about <laughs> in, in you know on paper in, you know uh, if if nothing else and and the phoenix club is not quite a phoenix club it's 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 now with the second team in bury except it's not it's the only team in bury so it's a little bit kind of messy yeah <laughs> um and the people who started afc always envisaged that by now there would only be one club nobody realized this is how things would play out but yeah as it stands right now there is a Berry FC Limited. There is a limited company that is the the original company. That company do not have a league entry. They do not have a team. They don't have a manager. They've got a stadium which got which has a, a massive mortgage on it. Um, and Steve Dale's come out and said that he's planning on having a team entered for next season, albeit his entry this season was rejected for a number of reasons, including the fact that he can't officially be the owner of a club and enter it into a league because that club had been expelled. And one of the rules is somebody who's run the club when it got expelled can't enter a team again. And actually, on, on that note, actually, just thinking about clubs that jump out at me, Maidstone United was one that's absolutely bonkers. They were the last club before Berry to get expelled in 92. And even in the newsreel that we, uh, we found on it, the expulsion came on the weekend of the first Premier League games. And actually, the news report itself starts with the Maidstone story and ends with, oh, in other, in other news, the Premier League started today. And um, the guy who was involved at Maidstone, Jim Thompson, ended up being involved in the club as it got restarted or, or started at the bottom. And because of that, they got put down to the Kent County League Division 4. It was like the absolute 
bottom you could possibly go to start again. That was another team that's jumped out at me, and that and that that could be something that happens to Berry FC if they do come back. They'll have to start in the same division that AFC are in right now. Yeah, I remember that story from your podcast. I think we played them in the FA Cup, if memory serves, a few years ago. But yeah, what they were saying was it was basically about thirty of them stood on the side of the pitch, wasn't it? Like it was like park football, Sunday league football. It was it got stripped back to that level. So they've gone from being in the football league to just a few people and a few dogs stood around the edge of a football pitch on the park. Yeah, I covered the Oldham Morecambe game a couple of weeks back, and um, a caller phoned up and said, "You know, maybe we're better off just starting again." And and I said to him, "You know, <laughs> that's the last thing you want to do. You know, you you really don't want to do it as as it might might feel as an idea to have a clean slate. It, it isn't straightforward. We've shown that already. No, it's that. I mean, I don't understand that way of thinking at all. We've got." A, change what's happening at Boundary Park. We've got to get, we've either got to convince the new owners to change their ways, which is obviously, that's ultimately in everyone's best interest for them to sort that out and to to move things in the right direction. If they want to sell the club, then that that works best for them. Or, you know, we need to, to mobilise and we need to get find new owners to come in. But the idea of us just doing a bury is just a terrible idea. I mean, what, what I would say, I suppose, through the story, we go and we visit a load of fan-owned clubs and um, clubs like Portsmouth that were fan-owned and then sold up again and kind of get an idea of, of what that's going to be like. And, you know, my experience so far uh, with Berry AFC is it has been refreshing and it has been great that we are part of the club. You know, I know that's something that Oldham fans feel like they've been completely distance from how the clubs run and they don't know quite what's happening on the inside. And we have all that control and we we're all involved in those decisions and you know we've got people who are involved in the club who are Berry fans and the expertise as well has been amazing you won't you won't believe the depth of of skill and talent there is within the fan base until a situation like this arises albeit we are in the 10th tier of English football we're in division 10 you know it's it's not it's certainly not the EFL no and I think what uh, obviously push the boundary contribute to this podcast every week and they got on it pretty early uh, you know just celebrated a year as an organization and what we're trying to do is be proactive we're trying to pull all these people together before the shit really it's the fan and hopefully we can do that and hopefully we can still have that fan involvement and fan engagement um and ultimately fan or partial fan ownership of the club without having to go down to the 10th tier and you know you might be down there for 20, 30 years. <laughs> we could be down there forever. You could be down you know? there forever, bury forever. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, look at look at Stockport. I mean, they, they've been through it completely. Whether they'll get back to the Football League anytime soon, who knows? I hope you know, so. once you, well, yeah, I, yeah, we all hope so, I guess. I mean, I've, I always felt like if, if Berry FC ever went out of the Football League, we might never, ever get back. Because you, you look at the Conference National and the North, and North as well, and you just think, you know, there's, there's clubs in there who've got a brilliant infrastructure and money behind them we might be stuck forever so it's the last thing we want really I mean I'm not sure what's going to happen obviously with football going forward and and what I have noticed about coming down to league two is that there's not enough supporters of some of the clubs to for it to be a really good national league the away followings are just too small for stadiums like Boundary Park and 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 it's it's at moments like that when you miss you realize how much you miss Bury and how much you miss Stockport and how much you miss Tranmere and on and what happens if these teams come out to league because 
you want a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand away fans at Boundary Park. You know, you want that's what you want. You want Bury, you want three and a half thousand Oldham fans turning up. So that kind of local element of it is really, really important. And and I don't necessarily like you say with the National League and the amount of money that's coming in, I don't think it would necessarily be a bad shout that once you got to League Two, if if the National League and League Two were merged and there was a north and south version yeah, of each because yeah, you know for a long time i've kind of dis i kind of didn't really like that idea but i've kind of come round to it now and i think for me growing up the big derby for me was was playing oldham you used to love it you brought you brought shed loads yeah. i think you sold out like our away end and then like we gave you the family stand as well you just said yeah you, had, you, you took over the ground and we try and do the same at your place as well albeit absolutely bloody freezing of course and yeah we are, we're gonna miss that we're gonna really miss that even thinking about it now and just you know as, as positive i am as about the the afc journey bloody hell, i'm never gonna we might never play oldham again i mean surely it would be a good thing for for our clubs because just in terms of match day revenue you know i don't see i don't see how it would be a negative thing i remember crawley when they came for the first time to boundary park i think they brought like 65 fans with them or something you know, it's a it's a coach lord, and that's it. It's just it doesn't offer it doesn't do any good doesn't do any good for anything, does it? So I think there is some serious thought to be had along those lines. I think League One. I mean, even now, just from being out of League One for a while and just looking at the table and looking at the teams that are in it, they all seem bigger than they used to seem. They all seem like more glamorous names than than they used to seem. Like you know, so God only knows what it looks like from the, from the tenth here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> So what's next then? I mean, what's next for... Um, they're doing all right, aren't they? The league has stopped, I think, hasn't it? Because it's not elite sports, but you're top of it at the minute. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're top on goal difference. I mean, with with postponements and everything else, I think we've only played about five games. But yeah, the leagues have all come to a halt now. And, you know, it, 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 it was going well. I think I think some people thought maybe we'd walk the league and, and it's that's not the case. And the games are really competitive. But yeah, at the moment, we're top. You know, if you st- if they stop the league right now, we win. But obviously, nobody wants that. But I think you know, if you ask anyone involved with AFC or any fan, I think they just say they just want to watch a team again. You know, it's 518 days from our final game at Gig Lane or Berry, Berry fans' last chance to watch football in a league against Port Vale to our first league game against Steeton. Which and you know, after that, we're just thankful to have football again. And it stopping is is really frustrating, but the decision has been made and you know as a as a former science teacher I, I respect the science so there you go and you know what going from science to emotion there is a lot of emotion in that pod in your podcast there's a lot of characters it sounds very familiar the accents and the way you know what I mean it it, it could be older and and I found myself getting very kind of swept up in it and I listened to it while I was driving and I will admit it, it got me a couple of times. It really genuinely got me a couple of times because I can just project, you know, I could be listening to Oldham fans. It could be our story. And even the fact that it's not, even the fact that it's your story is emotional enough, you know, because it's sad. I feel bad for you. I feel bad for the people that I listen to in that, in the podcast. It was really good. And it did get me. And the last episode, bringing it back to the football was just fantastic. It really was <laughs> brilliant. I won't say what happens in it. Definitely listen to it though, but there's a lot of emotion and it's a, it's Roy the Rovers, isn't it? It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bit of a spoiler there. Something <laughs> has a happy ending, maybe. Uh, but yeah, I suppose we've we've all now experienced missing that match day um, experience with your mates or with friends or family or just that buzz. 
and even you, you're, you're, you're following from afar, but you know, it's not, it's not the same, is it? But imagine if Oldham never came back, there were no matches to go to, and then there weren't going to be any other matches again. And that, that's kind of what happened. You know, we got expelled from the league and all these, all these fans, all these people who buries part of their life, you know, and you know, we've got a couple of people in the pod who, who live off gig lane. And it's it's part of their life. It's part of the routine. Joy Hart, who chained herself to the stadium, her, her dad was involved at the club for 44 years. It, they named a stand after him. And all of a sudden, that's all gone. And people are lost. Everyone was lost. I was lost as well. I ended up, you know, just randomly going to, to non-league games just to pass the time with taking my son. I only took my son to one game. He's only He's just nearly two now, but he managed to get to one Berry game and that was it. And so, yeah, that, that emotion was raw for us at the time. Uh, for some people, it still is raw. Some people haven't managed to get past that whatsoever. I think for me, having getting involved in Berry AFC gave me something positive to do rather than kind of getting stuck in that in that sense of grief. And making the podcast as well was was part of that process. But yet there's lots of people who are still right back at square one. In fact, Joy, Joy Hart's one of them. Yeah, you've still got that divide, haven't you? That's the thing. That's the sad thing as well is... You know, you're not all united. And then it's because of what's happened. It's because Berry FC still technically exists. People want to be able to get back on that ship. So you, there, there is that divide in the fan base, which is which is a shame. Time will tell what happens. I suppose once there is only one option, then that will help. Uh, maybe there'll remain two options as well. That's another possibility. Um, but from an olden point of view, I know that you know, fans are divided with us at the minute. And, and it's just almost like, you know, it's like a premonition. It's kind of like these are the things that might happen, the things that you don't think about. You don't imagine that there'd be a division in the fan base and uh, something like that. You'd think that it'd be the ultimate reason for everybody to come together, but that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, as much as there are two possible avenues, I mean, if you, if my, on, my honest opinion is that I can't see Berry FC coming back. And that's not because I don't want them to. Obviously, I do. But the the level of debts that's there, there's a there's a crowdfunder that's got very little in it relative to the amount they need to raise, about two and a half million pounds. You think like Wigan, you know, they've been doing a fundraiser and they've almost got to seven hundred thousand. They're massive compared to us. But un- until that situation's resolved one way or the other, whether it Berry FC managed to come back or not, there there is going to be that split, and there are going to be people saying that. You know, people even like me who've just got involved as a as a volunteer have contributed to the death of Berry FC, which which I would argue, and I know everyone at AFC would argue, isn't the case at all. We're just those those fans that got involved with this club have done so because at the time, if they hadn't, there wouldn't be a club. And as it's transpired, had AFC not started, there would be still no football in Berry. Yeah, I mean, you've had there's there's, there's been issues like the council wouldn't buy the ground. Um, which was very frustrating, I should imagine, uh, because then that kind of reclaims Gig Lane for the town. Your man Steve Dale doesn't want to sell, and he's—I mean, I read that statement that it came, when it came out. I was like, "What the hell is which one? This? The one about fake boxes, or the one about the proms, or oh, just the, the last one about one. Berry Market? They just like—it's just insane, and it's just." So he's a crackpot, that fella, obviously, and the pressure's getting to him, and it's making it worse. I should imagine with all this. So I, I don't. I agree. I don't think that 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 is a, is a viable avenue uh, that it's going to come back under him. Maybe at some point it'll all come back together, the stadium, Bury AFC, and it'll and it'll all just be put down to experience at some point. I think the thing that bringing it back right the way back to Oldham, like 
back when Stuart Day was was doing these schemes and even when Steve Dale took over and we heard rumours that the players weren't getting paid, I think looking back at it now, we, you know, I can I hold my hands up and say, did I do enough just as a fan, just thinking about it? Just I, I moved away for a while like, like you and was kind of like distanced from it, but did enough fans ask enough questions at the time? I don't think we did. I really don't think we did because look how look how things played out. I think um, perhaps, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It became an impossible situation. If you look at how, you know, how Stuart Day financed the club, perhaps it, it was inevitable from that point onwards. But did we as fans question it enough at the time or were we just enjoying the ride? You know, were we enjoying the promotion at Tranmere or well, the two promotions at Tranmere actually? Um, you know, were we enjoying having James Vaughan turn up and Leon Clark and even <laughs> Jermaine Pennant turned up for a little bit, which kind of rang alarm bells. But so I suppose for Oldham fans now, it, I think if, if, if you learn anything from the series or what's happened to Barry, it's that if you do want to ask questions, then then do, because if you don't, no one else will. If the fans don't sound the alarm or at least get involved or you think to yourself, well, do you know what? Things are all right now. I'll just kind of take a step back and you kind of lose track of the ball or just, you know, take a step away from it. Barry is where things can end up. Barry is kind of the worst case scenario of you just kind of going, let's just go and enjoy the ride. It's very easy to do because, you know, like Oldham, you don't get much success at Bury. Uh, you never have done. You, you know, you get the odd Hey, we won those FA Cups. (laughs) (laughs) You won what? The FA Cup. Have we ever mentioned that before? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's anyone alive that can remember it. No, that's the thing. No, 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 no. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so it's very, very easy to just to go along with that, isn't it? To get swept up in it. There's money, there's signings, there's promises. It's, It's not up to us to look into the gritty details of it. We'll just sit back and enjoy the ride. But unfortunately, if no, and, and at Oldham, we do have a trust who are supposed to be there to, to make sure that, you know, the right people come in and that these things don't happen. So there's definitely resentment at Oldham as a result of that because Abdallah's come in while the trust were in place and that whatever that uh, whatever safety net that was supposed to be, it, there wasn't enough red flags waved by the trust and, and we are where we are. So... I think I think participation, getting involved, it leads me on to my next question, actually, because you, you do some work with BBC Radio Bolton. Sorry, BBC Radio Manchester. I have to drop that in for the fans. Well, forgive me if I don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, you do some work with BBC Radio Manchester. And and obviously, Oldham fans are always giving stick that, that Latics don't get enough mention and that Bolton get a, a, a lot of a mention. But it's, it's down to Oldham fans picking up the phone, isn't it, if they want to get draw attention to things and... and there is that argument, and there's also the argument that the local media don't shine enough of a spotlight on what's happening at the smaller clubs in the region. So there's two questions there for you to, to pick apart. Well, the, the caveat to this, of course, is as a freelancer, I can only speak you know, from a little bit of a distance. So I'm not not representing all the BBC Radio Manchester here or anything no, no, like that at all. But person. I think, you know, I, I had a DM a couple of weeks ago from an Oldham fan off the back of actually reporting at Oldham, um, just saying, you know, is there enough coverage? And actually thanked us for, for what we'd, we'd done on covering Oldham that day and just raised a few issues. And I just replied, you know, if you want to, the, the thing that you need to do is just get in touch with the with the station, you know. There's a there's a call in every day or a weekday, six till seven, uh, talking balls, give them, a, give them a call. If you want to raise stuff that's going on at your club, then that's the most direct way to do it. Because if, if Berry fans had done that, if we'd done that at the time, 
for us, things might have gone differently. One one bit of uh, archive that didn't make it into the into the series actually was Stuart Day came into Radio Manchester and somebody phoned up and said, Stuart, uh, we've heard rumours that you've sold off the you mortgaged the ground again. Is there any truth in that? And he says, Oh no, no, it's not true at all. But it turned out he had. But that came to light partly because somebody phoned up. I think that's what you've got to do. And, you know, all, all the other stuff go, goes along with this. You know, we're, we're in a time of, of real financial hardship for everyone. There are cuts happening across all industries, the media industry being one of them. There's limited resources. People are being asked to do more with less. So an, an active and engaged audience, whoever for whatever club that might be, only leads to, to more coverage of that team. So my, my message to Oldham fans is, you know, get involved, pick up the phone. I agree. It's it's very, very easy to just blame other people. Oh, we're not getting enough coverage. And But, you know, Bolton are a much bigger club than we are in the region. They're, they're the third biggest club after United and, and City. You know, biggest ground, biggest fan base. So they are going to get more attention. That's just, that just makes sense. Maybe they do weight it a little bit too much towards them. Uh, maybe that's just to do with the people within the organisation. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're just, but, you know, we also have issues in Oldham now. We don't have a local paper anymore. We don't have a daily paper and we don't have local journalists. So it's kind of an accumulation of things, I think, that's kind of frustrating people. But again, we live in an, in an era where we can all publish things. We can we can put out podcasts. We can, we can do our own thing. And there's no excuse not to phone up the radio station or get in touch with the papers. So I think it's just kind of like, I, th- I think that's, I'm happy that that's where we're at now. I think we're being more proactive. I think we're sick of just sitting back and mourning because it don't do any good. We need to be proactive. Yeah, and I think something that really struck me is is you do have quite a savvy fan base, you know, push the boundary, even the way that they do things, the, even the social media graphics and all that stuff. It's really engaging. It's really, like, proactive. We didn't have that at the time when uh, everything was kicking off at Berry, really. I mean, we've got it now with AFC, um, and we've got some great stuff going on there. But yeah, it's you've got to you've got to you've got to use all the means you've got. You know, your free wheats campaign as as seems to have um, borne fruit as far as that statement came out the other day. Would that have happened without um, without that campaign? Who knows? Well, it got a reaction, didn't it? I don't think there's many people who actually believe that David Wheat is going to kick a ball for Oldham again for a number of different reasons. But it's drawn attention to to an issue, and and that's that's what you need to do, and you need to do it in the right way as well. It's very easy. I see a lot of people on Twitter that are trying to draw attention to themselves and what they have to say, but the language that they use and the aggression and the, you know, the name calling and all that kind of stuff, no one's ever going to take that seriously. They're just going to ignore it. So you have to present yourself and you have to conduct yourself. You still have to treat people with respect, even if you don't feel that they don't deserve that much respect because they won't listen to you otherwise. So yeah, they are going about it the right way. Um, and they're filling a void that, that Trust Oldham have left, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and I suppose it's up to you all to get back together. As much as there might be divides in the fan base, without uniting, it'd be very difficult to to get any changes you want to see happening. I had a couple of conversations with a few eggs on Twitter <laughs> about the pod. Um, they had various opinions. And I thought I'd just try and engage with them for a while. One person I just had to had to block, but... When I asked them, like, have you listened to the series? The answer would be no. <laughs> no, I haven't listened. But so they're happy to to have a pop at you and say, oh, you know, you've you, you've contributed to the downfall of the club or you're profiteering, whatever it might be. And I'm like, well, have you actually listened to it yet? Have you have you given it some time? Because 
and they, they say no because they've, they've got their version of the truth. I've got my truth, you've got your truth, and you can't you can't both be right. Like we can't just keep living in this this isolated scenario where we're both at just these extreme points of view or whatever it might be. And we don't want to see eye to eye. I don't even want to engage with each other, you know? And I said, you know, I said to the eggs, listen to it, hate it, and then slag me off. That's fine. But yeah. to not even bother and say it's, you know, rubbish or whatever. Uh, I was like, well, you know, <laughs> how far, how far do you go with that? And you have to pick your battles as well on social media. And, and, and that's definitely a message to one or two people that old athletic, <laughs> You know, you do do not, you can't get involved with everybody. You have to just, you have to think, think before you tweet. <laughs> this is a good message. So listen, do you want to give a, give a quick plug to your, um, to your podcast? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's called out of our league. Um, it's from BBC sound, so you can get it on the BBC sounds app, but you can also get it everywhere. So Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever it might be. Uh, wherever you're listening to this pod, in fact, <laughs> it'll yeah. be there. Um, and yeah, it's 10 episodes and it's about 45 minutes an episode. And each one will take you on a journey. So we start with the expulsion of Berry. We look and find out what non-league football is like. And we go around the country with that. We look at Phoenix clubs. We look at different ownership models. We look at what's happening with the stadium and volunteers. And before you know it, it's our first league game again. And we're 2-1 down and it's absolutely hammering it down and it's 90 minutes on the clock <laughs> and i highly rec- i do highly recommend it it's really well made it's really well produced um and like i said it's um very relatable to, to a football fan i think particularly a northwest football fan so go and have a listen thanks for coming yeah, on sunny really no appreciate it well best of luck for the rest of the season and uh, i look forward to covering my next oldham game assuming they haven't given me the boot by then i don't know <laughs> and hopefully uh loads of oldham fans falling in to comment <laughs> yeah absolutely Good stuff. Thanks right. for your time, mate. No worries. See you soon. Cheers. All the best. After a great 2-1 win against Exeter, Oldham now travelled to Barrow in midweek for their next game. Great goals from George Blackwood and Danny Rowe saw Oldham take all three points against Exeter. Now moving forward to Barrow, Rowe and Blackwood both sit on two goals each for this season. This improved form will help Oldham against the Barrow side who themselves have struggled. Managed by former Oldham boss David Dunn, Barrow are coming into this game on the back of a 2-2 draw with Forest Green at the weekend. In their 13 league games this season they have scored 17 goals, averaging 53.1% possession, 74.6 pass completion and winning 16.4 aerial duels per game. They've totaled 12.1 shots per game and 4.3 on target. Their most frequently used formation this season is a 3-4-1-2. They've used this for 7 of their games, scoring 10 goals, conceding 10, and their results have come in as 1 win, 5 draws and 1 loss. Barrow like to use possession-based football, using short passes and attacking through the middle. They're also prone to taking shots from outside the area and trying to get in behind opposition. However, they've been poor in terms of the league average in aerial duels and defending set pieces. The top goalscorer this season is Dior Angus. The 26-year-old has four goals in 11 games and they also have former Latics winger Chris Taylor who's recently signed and has one goal, two assists in his seven games. 
After this weekend's results, Barrow sit just below Oldham in 18th. Their recent form of two draws and one loss sees Oldham coming into the game in better form. Both sides have scored 17 goals this season, the difference being that Oldham have conceded more, conceding 24 to Barrow's 18. With injuries to Harry Clark and Kyle Jameson, Oldham are still looking to get a solid back line for Barrow, conceding again against Exeter, but only keeping them to one. With Oldham's injuries and Barrow's recent poor form, it will be key for Oldham to find the best starting eleven available on Tuesday in order to get the win. After the midweek games are over, it's to the FA Cup for Oldham and they will be travelling to Bradford. A side that Oldham travelled to not long ago in the Papa John's Trophy, Oldham came out 3-1 winners. Bradford will surely be looking for revenge on Oldham, but if Oldham can keep up their winning ways in the cup competition, they will see themselves through to the third round. In their 12 league games this season, Bradford have scored 13 goals, but Bradford also have scored 7 goals in their one FA Cup game. Their top goalscorer this season is Lee Novak, scoring 3 goals from his total seven. Seven games. They also have another veteran forward in Billy Clark who scored two goals and got three assists in nine appearances. Bradford are a good counter-attacking side and are very good at winning aerial duels, winning 28.2 per game, also averaging a possession of 53.2% and a pass completion of 72.1%. They are more than happy to keep the ball. As we saw when we played them in the league trophy, they are poor against defending counter-attacks and defending set pieces. Usually applying a 3-4-1-2, the same formation as Barrow, they have managed to score three goals and concede two whilst using this formation. Winning one game, drawing one and losing two, this formation hasn't been massively successful for Bradford, but it's the one they choose to use. Bradford are another side that have been struggling in the league, after 12 games seeing them sit in 19, just below Oldham and Barrow. Picking up a total of 13 points, Oldham only sit one point above Bradford in the league table. Although this doesn't matter come the weekend when we play in the FA Cup, it's interesting to see that the two sides are well matched. With a big third round time looming for the Latics, it'll be a really big game for Oldham due to financial concerns but also to get the fans on board with a huge third round cup tie. The Bound Park Alert System is a Studio 6 production. It's hosted, edited and mixed by me, Matt Dean, and you can contact me on Twitter at DublinOAFC. If you'd like to get in touch with us or contribute to the show, our email is bpalertsystem at gmail.com and we're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at OAFC Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Push the Boundary, you can visit pushtheboundary.co.uk and follow them on Twitter at ptb underscore OAFC. The match stats are compiled and presented by Thomas Berry and you can follow Thomas, spelled T-O-M-O-S, on Twitter at Thomas Berry. The title music for the show is Delirio by Manchester DJ and producer Starion. You can visit redlaserrecords.bandcamp.com for more info and the latest releases. If you like the show, please do review and subscribe on whichever platform you listen. Thanks for listening.